0: Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Heaton Shaw, Heaton has started three SaaS companies since 2005, Crazy Egg, Kissmetrics, and Quicksprout, all with his co-founder, Neil Patel. And when it comes to startups, Heaton is somewhat of a legend in the San Francisco Bay Area, where he's known for his incredible generosity with his time and help to new founders. To that end, Heaton has become an active advisor and investor in startups like Buffer, Drift, LinkedIn, Lyft, and more. Heaton also co-hosts the Startup Chat podcast with Steli FD, where they've published over 280 episodes talking about all things business and startups. Now, Heaton is focused on building out his community over at ProductHabits.com, his blog and newsletter about product management, where he actually just recently launched a training program called Build Winning Products. Today's interview is another one that I originally did for the Inside Sales Summit a few months ago, the online event I co-hosted with Close.io, the Inside Sales CRM for startups. We had speakers like Noah Kagan, Jill Conrath, Sujan Patel, Dan Martel, and more. So if you enjoy what you hear in today's interview and want to keep the fun going, then check out all the other 54 interviews for free just like this at insidesalesummit.com. But for today, we're here with Heaton Shaw. In this episode, Heaton and I talk about how to build a growth engine for any SaaS product, including his personal process for creating and perfecting your sales funnel. We cover the biggest mistakes most founders tend to make when it comes to generating early sales and what your focus really should be on when you're looking to recruit your first 100 paying customers. We're digging into Heaton's best outreach tactics, how to add value to your prospects before asking them to become a paying customer, and his best advice for anyone who wants to build a SaaS product. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Heaton Shaw. Heaton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Hayden, one thing I know you've worked a lot around within your own businesses over the years is curating and perfecting your sales funnel. And so, if you've got a product that you know your existing customers are getting value from, but your sales funnel is just leaking leads now for some reason, where do you begin trying to diagnose where things are falling off the rails?
1: Yeah, well, where I start, where I see also a lot of other folks not starting is really trying to understand why people didn't continue. So if people decided not to purchase uh, within your sales funnel, whether it's an online sales funnel or even with um, salespeople, you basically have to go talk to the people that didn't do it. And, and that's one big like, source of learning. And then the other big source of learning is, this is pretty obvious, but the opposite, which is the people that actually did it. Um, and when you combine those two, you start getting an understanding of what's missing in the middle. Because really, there's something missing in the middle that's making it so that some people are getting through. That's cool. But the people that aren't getting through, which tends to be the majority of them, sometimes a the vast majority of them, you don't really understand why. And, and once you start figuring out why they're not getting through and understanding why the people that are, are getting through, you can start making really smart decisions, right? It's not just about how do I get more of those people that aren't getting through through. It's actually learnings like, oh, the type of people that get through, they care about X right? Whatever X may be. And the people that aren't getting through, they don't care about X. So let's find more people that care about what those people care about is a a counterintuitive, I guess, example of what companies tend to miss.
0: Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good point. So aside from the question, obviously, of like, you know, why didn't you buy or to the people who did buy, why did you buy? What other kinds of questions might you want to ask some of the people that have already come through and decided to do business with you?
1: Yeah. What I really like is a little bit of a a tweak on the why did you buy question and more so what it convinced you to buy or even more clearly, what's the number one thing that convinced you to purchase our product today? Right. That opens up uh, a different discussion than if you just say, why did you buy? Because people can drone off into all kinds of different areas If they, if you ask them generically, why did you buy? But if you tell them, hey, I really want to understand the number one thing that compelled you to purchase our product, they really have to think about what was the most important thing. And they will give you an answer that's so much more valuable to you when you ask it like that. Another example would be trying to understand what it is that people are actually doing with your product in their workflow. So I really like thinking of it like, a product um, is, has to fit into someone's workflow in order for it to be used. And generally, it doesn't matter what kind of product it is. Think about even something totally off topic, probably like coffee in a coffee shop, or even beans, coffee beans, roasted beans that you buy, and all the tools you use to basically make those at home. Coffee fits into people's workflow. That's why it's so popular. Simple as that. And so does your product. If you don't understand why people are buying and what's caught, what, what ways that they actually use your product in their daily lives, you're not actually understanding what's going on. You're not under, understanding how your product fits into something that we all have, which is lives. So like, how does it fit into their lives? Um, that's something that I see so many companies miss and so many people think like, you know, oh, they'll just buy our product and then they'll use it. Actually, wait, they buy your product and they actually use it f- to improve their lives. And so if you don't understand how it fits into their daily lives and their workflow, you're not gonna get a really great understanding of why they're actually buying and what they're doing with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And like, you know, you've been in the world of SaaS for over a decade, basically. I'm sure you've seen a lot of trends come and go as far as how SaaS sales functions. And you know, something like the predictable revenue model being a really big one. Um, Do you feel that there's been any large changes recently in how SaaS leaders are approaching sales today? Yeah, I
1: think the one big shift I would say that I'm noticing is that we started sales with a lot of enterprise sales back in the day, especially with software, because they were selling like um, really expensive software or hardware that you had to install or like these boxes, network boxes and all this other stuff into your data centers. Because everyone had those. Now that we've moved to the cloud, the friction of software is much lower. Like you can sign up online and use a product. I know this is all obvious. I'm getting to my point. Uh, and so the big trend that I'm seeing today, now that software is so easy to build, now that there's a lot of attention paid to sales tools, is that a lot of the things that we thought were something that would scale a business in the long run end up being uh, really important much earlier, or valuable, or even something we're seeing more companies, companies do more and more. And I'll give one example, which is probably the biggest one I have, which is outbound sales has become something that early stage companies are starting to do more and more. And here's why I think that's important. In order to scale a company past a certain amount of revenue, you have to go get leads in an outbound fashion, not just inbound. You have to go call them, You have to go email them when you don't know them yet, when they're not even in your marketing funnel or anything. This is just a definitive, like, if you want to scale your business, you better have that channel because it's one of the most valuable channels out there. Well, right now, there's a ton of sales tools out there that help you do that at scale very efficiently. If, you know, you needed a whole outbound sales team, just, or outbound, like, outreach team to go send these emails, now you can do that with one tool. And there's about 10 flavors, actually, probably 50 flavors of that tool out there right now, and that's just happened in the last two years. I don't think these tools were really popular until the last two years. The main reason is email is now so mature, it's really easy to use tools to go do outreach. It's also really easy with tools like Clearbit and all these prospecting tools to get lots of information without actually knowing somebody's email address, right? Or just by knowing someone's email address, getting so much more information, and, and getting these lists of emails and things like that. So I would say that we are we're seeing a trend where earlier and earlier stage software companies are starting to do outbound. Even like literally the first like month of launching a software product, you might be just doing outbound uh, and it might actually start working for you. And that's so different than uh, what I remember when, you know, I don't know, 12 years ago.
0: So when you're just getting started, right, you're, you're a founder, maybe a couple of founders, you don't have a big team to do outbound sales with. Do you recommend that founders take outbound series as like, this is our sole focus as soon as they have kind of an MVP to test with? Or do you recommend that someone who's just getting started sort of like outsources to maybe a contractor who can help with like the prospecting component at least?
1: Yeah, I think there's so many tools out there that I wouldn't outsource it to a person. I'd probably go spend time researching some of the tools that are out there to help you with um, outbound. And I think that that's really probably going to make the biggest difference, which is like what, what actual tools are you using? Uh, what tools can you use to do outbound prospecting? And I'd start there because you'd be surprised at how much these tools can do for you these days compared to having to hire a person. Here's another thing that's kind of related to what you said, which is like, I would actually recommend founders or early stage team members are really close to the founders and the product to do the, um, to actually do the prospecting and sales at first. That was like, honestly, like I, I, it's, you know, people love to hear mistakes and stuff. I made that mistake. I, I outsourced sales too early in one of my businesses to the point where like it was detrimental to the business. And it took much longer to get sales to work just because of that idea that, hey, there's someone who's better than me at it. Well, here's the thing. Early on in sales in a business, you understand the business, the product, and you should understand the customer better than anyone else on your team, regardless of their expertise. And so you should be heavily involved in the process. I hate being like that prescriptive and dogmatic, but every time I've seen a founder get involved in sales, the business starts moving faster, especially early on until there's like a lot of clarity. On the sales process, the sales funnel, why people are buying, and all that good stuff.
0: So, I guess on that point, something you mentioned was um, a, a good salesperson. So, even though it ended up being a mistake outsourcing sales early on um, with your previous business, have you ever met a salesperson, regardless of whether it was that one or with another company that you're doing, that was particularly impressive to you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say, on average, like the sales people that are out there are missing one big component. And, and that component happens to be this idea of measurement and this idea of metrics and this idea of iteration based on feedback. And so it's rare to meet a salesperson who viscerally understands that. And because of that, I would say that like these days, instead of worrying about their the suits they wear, so to speak, the language and the, and the way they speak, I'm so much more worried about, hey, can you tell me how you improve the sales process? And honestly, what I want to hear is, okay, in the early days, I got on every call, not to speak or help the sales reps on the call, but to listen in. We recorded every call. We heard every call. I listened to every single call the reps were making in order to give them feedback on their calls. So like it's like small stuff like that that has such a big impact. So I want to hear the sales leader be in the weeds and and really be thinking about how do the, how do they enable their sales team to have repeatable processes to give feedback on these calls and really help each every single salesperson get better sometimes even the sales trainers on an at scale saas business that has a massive sales team like 50 100 200 more people they're not doing that so it's like you're losing out on this opportunity when like you have these people in sales who have, are the first touch point with customers typically And you're not helping them understand how to sell your product better. So my advice, regardless of who you are in a company, uh, especially on the sales side, is like, if you're a founder and you have other people doing sales, go talk to the salespeople, go understand what they're saying to the customers and help them say it in a way that's effective. Also, even if you know nothing about sales and you listen to a sales call, you're going to be able to figure out, as long as you're a third party, not the salesperson, not the customer, exactly how to make it better.
0: Yeah, and I think that also goes back to what you were saying about as the founder or as like an early sales leader, knowing how to sell your product best and then helping other people to do so rather than you know, giving them, hey, here's a bunch of leads, go figure out how to sell to them.
1: Yep, Exactly.
0: So I know you've been a part of growing sales teams with various different companies over the years. When a founder or a sales leader is looking to hire their first couple of people on the sales team, what kinds of traits or qualities should they be looking for in those people?
1: Yeah, I I think first first salespeople tend to be, you know, the best tend to be really deep into wanting to um, have a very good understanding of the product. And, And the reason for that is that product has to match a customer need. And oftentimes, when you hire your first few salespeople, you haven't really figured out exactly how to message the product to the outside world, right? And this goes to the point of like, in my opinion, the founders are the first salespeople. And typically, they do a horrible job of creating a systematic process for sales. And then they expect to hire salespeople and think a salesperson is going to do that. No, salesperson's going to be on the call, and they're going to try to close deals, and they're going to try to meet their quota that's what a salesperson does. That's what they're trained to do. That's historically how you incentivize them, right? So what I love is when the salesperson is so excited about the opportunity that they're there to help you understand the language that needs to be used with customers. And they can inform marketing. They can inform product development. And the healthy relationship is when sales is giving you inputs to inform those things early on. And honestly, this is very rare, right? So hiring, that's why some companies will just say, okay, you're a product person. You're a marketing person, or you're, um, you know, somebody who really understands the business today. Why don't you go start try doing sales, right? And, and and that doesn't always work, but there's a reason that it keeps happening out there, and it's because those people tend to be the closest to the customer, the closest to understanding what the product can do. And so, for me, the first salespeople have to really care deeply about the product and really believe in the opportunity of the good it can do for customers.
0: So shifting gears a little bit now, what do you feel is the most important deal you've ever personally been a part of during your career?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, At our consulting company, there were a ton of deals that we did that were very um, focused around um, large corporate clients. And what I always found fascinating is when we could convince them to buy from us and spend like seven figures a year. And we weren't selling software, we were selling a service. And you could say that's harder or easier, but at the end of the day, that process and what got me excited about it was what I learned about how an organization works and how they buy and how there's a hierarchy. And you need the decision maker on every call or a decision maker on every call. And to move things forward, there are a lot of tactics you learn that are still valuable to me in almost everything I do. You know, because it's a communication thing. It's like, look, I'm trying to sell them something and take money from them and they don't want to spend it. Right? But when they do decide to spend it, it's a lot of money. So, you know, we had deals with Samsung, Hewlett-Packard, um, and this was back in like, you know, twelve, almost fourteen, fifteen years ago, we started getting deals with these companies to help them with marketing, and it was just amazing at like how involved that process was, but how much you can learn and how, how what the impact is at the end of the day, to the business, as well as to yourself when you actually close that deal. Um, those are not easy deals. People often say those take six months and longer. In a consulting business, they take a little bit less time because you're not just selling them software, you're selling them your time to some extent or your team's time. But that, that's, that was some of the kind of greatest learnings. And I had that relatively early, early before, you know, when I had a consulting business before I really got into software and SaaS. And it's been tremendously helpful for so
0: many reasons. So one of the things you mentioned, I think is really important to highlight is that you have your decision maker or a decision maker as a part of every single meeting you're doing. And obviously you want to make one of these decision makers, your champion, who's going to yeah. help push through the deal to make it happen. Right. So yeah. aside from, you know, that learning, does anything else sort of like stick out in your mind as like a, a must do best practice when you're trying to sell to big organizations like that?
1: Yeah. Uh, a must-do best practice for big orgs is like um, spending as much time as you can understanding their actual problems. I, I find it silly that com- companies that are trying to sell to enterprise don't do that. So it's like a, this, there's a whole discovery phase. Ideally, if you're crazy, you could do it at one call because you're just barraging them with questions and they're open to answering them. That's typically not how it happens because of my first point. There's multiple decision makers. There's all, honestly some hierarchy And it's sometimes unclear in the first call who's actually making the decision around the budget, right? You have someone who's a buyer usually and then someone who's the user. And there's usually two champions or more that you need to kind of advocate for. Also, one other tip I'd give on the topic of champions is find your champion even if they don't have a a budget because they're the ones that will advocate across the whole organization for you. And honestly, those champions are your long-term relationship in the organization regardless of what level they're at. The last thing I'll say about this is in, in enterprise sales or larger kind of deals, you have to make the person who's buying and or the person who's using and or your champion feel like a hero. So you have to understand what their motivations are. Here's the goal. If by using your product or service, they're able to get a promotion, everybody wins. So really digging into like what's going to cause that, even though it sounds wacky and weird because that's not your problem, it's your problem if you want the renewal. It's your problem if you want the deal in the first place. And it's your problem if you want that person, when they go somewhere else, to talk about you, wherever they go. And also, with enterprise sales, one of the biggest things is selling to other teams in the company. You won't get that unless you're helping that one person do better in their job. And ideally, my goal when I go into those deals after learning is get that person a promotion. Find that champion, figure out how to get them a promotion because of uh, your involvement in their business. And honestly, for lack of a better way to say it, you have them for life then.
0: Yep. This is actually the perfect example too, I think, of balancing the the emotional needs of the person you're selling to with the actual business needs they have, right?
1: Yep. Correct.
0: So, all right, Heaton, this is my last question for you. I'm curious to hear what would you say has been the best investment you've ever made in the context of building your selling skills? And this could be in the form of time, money, online tools, experience, or otherwise.
1: Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So, I think, I think it's, it's actually more so for me a big realization. And, and I'm going to give a realization instead of the one thing. What I realized is that every time you are communicating, regardless of who you're communicating with, when when you're communicating, you're selling something. And people feel like that's so dirty, right? Because when you're selling implies that you want something. No, what I mean is like, I'm talking to you right now, right? There's an audience. I'm selling something. I'm not selling anything I want money for, but I'm selling my knowledge, my advice or whatever. You're asking great questions. It's my job to deliver. So for me, it's about this whole idea that like, Every time you communicate, there's something you're trying to get someone else to think. You're trying to get them to think differently. You want to add value. So to me, it has everything to do with adding value. And honestly, sales is all about adding value. I know everyone says that. But the way I think about it is not just sales. It's all about adding value. Everything's all about adding value. Right? You walk around this earth. You're not adding value. You're extracting value and not giving anything in return and or just giving. And so this whole idea, and it just you know, really clicked for me as I started doing or trying to do more sales and closing deals is like, if I'm not adding value, no one's going to listen to me.
0: So one quick follow-up on that. Sure. Um, Since you brought this up, I really love this topic of adding value to people. As a salesperson or a founder, how do you add value to your potential clients before you ask for something in return, before you ask for their business?
1: Yeah, that's really great. So, you know, the best sale, I'll start with like an outbound sales email. The best outbound sales email or the best... Any kind of email where you don't know the person is when you find something wrong with something they're doing, like a typo on a blog post, something stupid, a small. that's just a small example. And you tell them, hey, I found this thing. I was looking around. I found this thing, right? And by the way, I was reading and adding value is like I was reading this from you and I learned X, Y, and Z. Thank you for sharing it. So adding value could be as simple as a thank you. But really, when you find something that they haven't noticed, right? Or that you think is a problem that they have that's really definitively one. And that's why I bring up a typo. A typo is just something really small, but it's impactful because you, there's so much behind telling someone they had a typo on a blog post if they did or on their website, right? Because what, what that means is that you were thoughtful enough to go look and read and do all this. So people love it when they think you've been thoughtful, And not just think it, but when they feel it and you really bring that value to them. So I think value is like this thing that people might think of as like, I got to do all this work. No, you just have to think with the lens that when I look at some prospect's website or potential lead that I'm going to email's website uh, or, you know, business, I'm thinking through what is most, what could be most valuable to them that I can say to them. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, I noticed you won this award, you know, at your business. That's pretty awesome. Here's what that means for the market, or here's what that means for me, or I can't imagine how hard that might have been for you, right? So adding value is as simple as listening to them and giving them some kind of feedback on what they did, even if you can't find a typo or something. It's really about personalizing it to the point where they feel like you've done your homework, right? And that's a simple and that's a simple way to add value. I think this topic's really interesting in general because as a founder, your only job is to add value. And it's not for yourself, it's for your team. Like you're going to be responsible for at least a handful of people, if not, you know, hundreds eventually. So adding value to their lives, making their lives better, making improvements to how the work environment is, all these things are adding value to other people. So I feel like it's absurd when people think that like, hey, and, and you know, I can't add value, right? You can add value in many different ways if you just take that lens and just say, what does value look like? What is going to be valuable to the other person? So to me, the simple trick or thing is like not even worrying about what you're trying to get and really being genuine about, I just want to help you first and foremost. Honestly, even on sales calls, I say, look, I'll tell you what this is about. I also, number one, and this is where the, the, one of the things I said comes back. Number one thing I want to do on this call is understand what your problems, what your challenges, what your opportunities are in your business, whichever way you want to describe it. Because if I can do that, I'll be the first one to tell you whether we can add value to your world or not. And if we can't, it's great to meet you, right? That's it. And I think that kind of attitude is genuine. If it really comes from a place of like, if I can't help you, I'll be the first one to say, I can't help you. And I've done that on so many different sales calls. And what ends up happening is these people that you do that with, they become advocates, even if they don't buy your product, because you just want to help. And when they see someone who can use your help, they go tell them about you and they make an introduction. You didn't do anything. You just didn't worry about yourself and you worried about them.
0: I love that. Show that you care and then it could lead to referrals, even if they're not a good fit to work for you personally. Exactly. Hell yes. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Heiden, can you tell everyone where they can go to check you out online and learn more about everything you're doing?
1: Yeah, I got a newsletter. I talk a lot about product development and it's at producthabits.com. Uh, check it out. Sign up. Hook me up.
0: All I'll right. Yeah. <laughs> Heden, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot if you enjoyed this episode of the side hustle project i would love your support head on over to the apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and as always you can catch every episode of the side hustle project on apple podcasts stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts thanks for tuning in